Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day, slightly less grumpy after last night's display against Chelsea, and he is Kieran Maguire, and we have to crack on to make sure we finish in time to see Brighton concede 10 goals against Liverpool, fingers crossed, in about 10 minutes. You looking forward to that, Kieran? Uh, yeah, yeah, I always look forward to seeing my team play. Um, oh. it'd be, it, you, you wouldn't be a football fan if it wasn't that way, and, and you know, the, the nature of a football fan is that we live in hope. Yeah, I, I, I can honestly say there have been times when I haven't always looked forward to seeing Palace play, to be quite honest. There are times when I've had to be dragged out of the pub, but um, I, I believe, Kieran, you you have some good news for us Palace fans, do you not? I, I do have some good news for Palace fans, yes. Um, last year, of course, you sold Aaron Wan-Bissaka to Manchester United for £45 million, and uh, they paid half of it up front, and they paid. They said they were going to give you uh, the other half as an IOU, which they're going to pay pay around about now. Um, so what Palace did is they took that IOU to a bank um, who cashed it in, a bit like a payday loan check. So they didn't get the full £22.5 But the good news is is that United have paid the final instalment. So the, the bank have released Palace from the mortgage attached to the IOU. So it's, uh, it's always good to have less people uh, after you for money. Yeah, happy days. If we can find a way of that happening for me, that would be great. Um, I might have a word with Steve Parrish if he's rolling in it at the moment. Uh, that's good to hear, Kieran. Thank you. It's Thursday, so it's Newsday, uh, which means we shall be talking today with Sheffield United, Tranmere, Derby, uh, Carlisle, Wigan, Wigan, Wigan and Wigan, because we are not going to let this one go. And in fact, in a few moments... We'll hear from the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who got off the phone to Kieran, I'd say about 10 minutes ago. Uh, but before we hear that interview, Kieran, what is the latest on the Wigan story? Well, the latest is the uh, the administrators have made 70 people redundant. You know, and, and this is the story which you know the, people focus on the football and they focus on the footballers. But actually, it's the people behind the scenes. You know, we've yeah. got people there who have, who have worked at the club for years. They, they love the club. It's, it is an integral part of their life. And they've all lost their job. The staff haven't been paid for June. Um, so that's going to drag on. They'll have a claim, but that will take time to be paid. Um, and Gerald Krasner, who is the, uh, who is the administrator, uh, he's, uh, he's having an investigation. They're going to appeal the 12-point deduction uh, for this season. Um, but we don't know whether or not that will be successful. But he's also concerned that there could be a 15-point deduction when Wigan come out of administration. Because if they fail to pay the creditors at least 25 pence in the pound, then another penalty kicks in. So Wigan could end up getting relegated through no fault of their own due to the nefarious activities which have taken place between uh, the two new owners. Um, And they could also start next season with a 15-point deduction unless they're able to sell the club um, and allow them to to pay the creditors at least um, fifteen, at least sorry, at least twenty five pence in the pound. Um, Gerald Krasner also said uh, that this twenty four million pound loan that was repaid to the owners, well, he doesn't know who paid it, but it, it certainly wasn't Wigan themselves. So it's well, right. it's becoming more Agatha Christie um, by the day, um, and. You've got to give a huge amount of credit to the the Wigan fans. They, they've they've gone out and they've been forensic detectives themselves. 
they found out that, uh, or they they found out that there's a guy called Al Young who appears to be the no, new owner who was uh, who was made a bankrupt in 2004, um, and here he is spending 40 million pounds on a football club in in the middle of a global pandemic mm-hmm. in 2020. None of it makes any sense. Just briefly, that 15-point deduction, that's an extra three points on the 12. That's not another 15 on top of the 12, No, no, it? no. It's, it'll be a fresh 15 points from the it's way It's a fresh... That, yeah. Oh, so, so that could be a 27-point deduction, essentially. In, in effect, yes, which which is, you know, wow. which is obscene because, yeah. you know, it, it's football. It, it's not, you know, it, it's not spreadsheets. Well, and also, we when this story first broke uh, about four weeks ago, Kieran... Uh, less than that, even, and, and you were the person who broke the story on the pod, and we were we were laughing. Essentially, it, it seemed so preposterous what was happening before we realised what was happening. This, what you were telling me about people selling clubs to themselves and loaning money to themselves, it, it it almost was carry on Wigan. But now, of course, seventy five people have been made redundant, and most of those people will have been at the club for some time, and of course. Making seventy-five people redundant in Wigan has a knock-on effect on the rest of the Wigan economy because that's seventy-five people who won't be going out, who won't be getting fancy shopping. So it's it, the ripple effect of a, of a club in trouble is much greater than I think even the football authorities understand, isn't it? But very much so, and uh, you've only got to hear sort of the, the fans talking. And the, the the Wigan fans have been absolutely brilliant. They mm. they have raised um, over a hundred grand already through crowdfunding. Um, you know, trying to make sure that they can fulfil the fixtures because that's another potential issue. I mean, Wigan are playing. You know, we, we're recording this on the Wednesday night, so Wigan are playing today. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the players going to do? They don't know whether they're going to be paid. You can't expect them to be motivated, but you just hope that they are going to to do their best because. You know, they are professionals and yeah, they love football as much as we do. Well, also, it, it, this is a time, and forgive me because I didn't check that Wigan were playing today, whether they're home or away, but this is a time where fans really get, you know, the Wigan fans would have turned out in numbers for this game, basically, to get behind the players and that would have motivated the players. But now they're, you know, they're in an empty stadium and they can't see the passion of the, the Wigan fans. And, and yes, there'll be people listening to this at home saying, well, there aren't many Wigan fans, but... That, that's neither here nor there. The people who support Wigan travel home and away in, in, in decent numbers, whatever you think about the size of the club, and they're as passionate about their club as everybody anybody else is about theirs, which is why we are determined on this pod. It, it, it's become a kind of test case for me, Kieran. This, uh, we are determined that this doesn't happen. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Andy Burnham has to say. You've told me a couple of things, but... It, uh, he's the mayor of Greater Manchester, and he spoke to you uh, within the last hour. Andy, uh, first of all, welcome to the Price of Football. Uh, it's a shame under the circumstances we're having a chat. Um, wh- when did you first become aware of what had happened in respect of Wigan Athletic? It was um, last Wednesday, Kieran. Uh, God, it would have been about 12 o'clock, and I was chairing the Greater Manchester COVID Emergency Committee. Um, so I was you know, dealing with other stuff and a text popped up on my phone and, uh, yeah, my, my heart sank because I live in the Wigan Borough. I'm surrounded by Wigan uh, Latics fans wherever I go and I know what the club means to them. And so uh, I knew straight away that this was going to be a, a devastating situation for, for people. 
Very much so. I mean, we, we've got rules in place from the football authorities. The EFL have got their rules. The FA seem to sit on the sidelines. Um, do you think this is beyond football in, in its ability to sort of either A, govern itself um, or, or B, find solutions to when we have problems of uh, in relation to owners, which, which result in situations such as this? I think that's been demonstrated, Kieran, not just in recent cases, but in pretty much the uh, 28 or so years since the Premier League began. Football has never shown itself to be capable of regulating uh, the financial vested interests that... uh, that circle the game, you know, the, uh, uh, the 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 money men. I mean, it just never has been able to do it. And there have been so many casualties along the way. And I'm just hoping and praying that Wigan Athletic are not going to be the latest one. That's right. I mean, they're, they're now in administration. So in, in theory, administration will help to protect the club. But we're not exactly sure protecting it from what. Um, it, it, is is there a role now for for central government or local government in in the sense of forming some form of protection? Because you know you're you're the mayor of Manchester. We've had Bolton, Bury, Macclesfield, Oldham. There's all issues in relation to those clubs and their owners. Now we've got Wigan. Um, is, do you feel it's 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 beyond the your ability as 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 a as a local uh, as, as a local representative, do we have to go to central government, or or do we have to be looking to the football authorities to to up their act? Well, it's a really good question. So, Barry, um, Kieran, I did get very involved in, and I got the um, investment team at Greater Manchester to to try and help. And what was clear to me in that situation was it was such a mess that we just couldn't unravel it. So the game had allowed that club to just become so kind of uh, enmeshed in, in the problem that it just couldn't be uh, couldn't be unpicked. And, you know, I, I have a bit of a history here. So I was part of the original football task force when we were looking at independent regulation of football. I was Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport when I set the game an ultimatum, if you might remember, about uh, regulation. And each time it's shown itself incapable of um, of rising to this particular challenge and, and solving the, you know, regulating finance in the interests of the sport. It's it's not been able to do it. And I think time has run out, to be honest. I think the time has arrived for independent financial regulation of football and and leave matters on the pitch to, to the FA and uh, the other governing bodies. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely. Um I mean, if, if we if we compare what we're seeing here in England to Germany, um, they've got a fifty one percent rule, which means that no no one person can take control of a club, um, and, and that's reflective of the fact that that in in German society, as it is in English culture, the football club is so central. You know, your heart does go out. The fact that the Berry groundsman is still mowing the grass on a regular basis, even though there's going to be no football there, but because it's so much of a part of his life, um, should should football clubs become protected assets uh, in the sense of either the stadium or the clubs themselves to to prevent something of this nature occurring? Because as, as you rightly said, what we've seen to date from the football authorities is oh oh it's it's a shame we we we're sorry and we get platitudes. But what we're not seeing is action. 
Well, I, I agree. And, you know, we used to have um, regulatory protections. Uh, it used to be called Rule 34 that the FA used to have in its uh, rule book. And it was a, a rule that prevented the asset stripping of football clubs and protected them as uh, community institutions that supported the, promoted the interests of the game. And, you know, you look back to the um, early, mid-90s where that was all jettisoned and the PLC, uh, the year of the PLC arrived. And, you know, it, then people started to say, well, they're just businesses, but they weren't, you know, because they were re- highly regulated sporting entities that was prevented from becoming pure pure businesses by the nature of the FA regulations at the time. And we just abandoned all of that, unlike Germany and Spain. And, you know, we've ended up in a situation where um, the, 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 the finances of football are so perilous that, that clubs are often hanging by a thread and everything that's been built up over uh, over decades is, is literally at the mercy of kind of individuals who... Uh, can can kind of terminate that history almost at the at a whim. So it's it's a it's a desperate state of affairs. It really is. And um, you know we've had twenty five thirty years now of the over commercialization of of football. And um, you know we've got to decide what we want from our from our game here. You know at the end of the day, it, it's got to be about promoting the best interests of the sport rather than uh, making money for a whole series of hangers on who quite frankly deliver very little back to the to the game we all love. That's right. I mean, you're saying that uh, we've got all these hangers-on, and then you contrast that to the Wigan fans themselves, who in, in the space of a week, that they've, they've, they've put together a crowdfunding of over £100,000. Um, they are acting as the forensic detectives that you would expect the football authorities to have been themselves before giving the green light to these deals going through. Uh, you know, as, as an outsider, I looked at the deal and I said, well, who in their right minds would pay 40-odd million pounds for a football club in the middle of, of a global pandemic? It, it didn't look right at the time, um, but and clearly things have unravelled since then. Um, have you got any words for sort of, of solace you know, you know, as, 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 a, as, a, as a fan of football itself for people in, in Wigan who might be listening? Um, because you know, I've, I've, I've been in, in touch on some of the the forums and things of that nature and have tried to get to the bottom of what's coming out of this company, IEC. Uh, and none of it, none of it seems logic. And, and people now suddenly realise just what football does mean to them. Uh, I've got friends who are Berry fans who, who they say the worst, the worst time of the week is three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon because yeah. what was central to their lives for so many years has been, has been stolen away from them, from people who've got no love for the game. Well, I mean, you put it so well and you, you put it so so passionately and we all feel that, don't we? I mean, I, whenever one of these situations arises, I mean, I happen to live in Wigan, as I said, but I did try hard with Berry just because I, I I remember when my club, Everton, were in difficulties in the 90s, you know, flirting with relegation, ownership problems. It's 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 devastating, isn't it? And um, you, you, you just, these clubs are bound up with your family, your, your history, your personality, aren't they? And, you just feel like um, you know something that's part of you is being ripped out of you when when uh, when when these situations arise. So, have I got any words of solace? Well, I am working with the MP for Wigan, Lisa and Andy, who's a very very effective uh, uh, MP. You know, we have written to Rick Parry. Um, he's written back to us saying that there'll be an investigation. 
he's offered to meet us. I think it's a sympathetic letter, to be fair to, to Rick. Um, you know, we, we do have our concerns about how on earth this got past the uh, the Football League, and obviously we'll talk to him uh, about that. But, you know, he seemed to be in the same place as us about wanting to save this football club. I mean, when you're looking at international finance and the complexities of it, you know, it's probably not surprising, is it, that um, the, the English football authorities can't unravel, you know, companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange that have uh, casinos in Manila. I mean, you know, th- this isn't their forte, is it? Let's be fair. You know, they're not they're not international finance experts. So that's why I would say t- to the football authorities, you know, hand that over to somebody else, you know, a specialist independent regulator. And, you know, then you lot can focus on the football, the football matters. Whether we can unravel all of this in respect of Wigan, I, I honestly don't know. But we are talking to... You know, people who care about the club locally, Lisa and I, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll do our utmost to save it. And I'll certainly put the full rose help of Greater Manchester at the disposal of the club to see if we can do that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, Andy. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed for everybody who's a Latics fan uh, that, you know, as we go forwards, that the administration, it's it's unpleasant. We've already seen the redundancies take place and, and some of the scare stories but a lot of clubs have been into administration and have managed to come out. And I think that's what we've all got to hope for uh, yeah. in respect of Wigan itself. Yeah, just to say, Kieran, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm hearing stories in our community of people who've worked for the club for years being made redundant. Um, I know what their community scheme has done. You know, my uh, it always kind of sort of galled me a little bit that one of my kids wore a Wigan Latics community uh, uh, tracksuit top for a number of years because they, they they got given it at one of their school uh, events. Yeah, but but it's evidence that this club are absolutely in the community. They're in the schools. Uh, they they work hard and they're well loved. Actually, people have a lot lot of respect for Wigan Athletic Football Club. You know, I know Joe Royal, Peter Reed are involved. You know, there's there's a lot of people with a lot of affection for the club. And you think of the players they've produced over the years. You know, this is um, this is you know a, a great. Uh, football club and it deserves uh, to be to be saved. So yeah, absolutely. You know, h- hear what you say. We're, we're all going to be doing our best to, to support them. But but if I could just say, Kieran, just think about what else is coming here. You know, we've got a, a football pyramid that's going to be devastated by uh, the lack of um, kind of crowds at live football over the rest of this year. You know, the bigger picture here is yes, independent regulation. Of football, but I think it's also a moment where the Premier League has got to uh, give up some of its billions and let some of that flow back down the football system. Because you know we've been papering over the cracks for years, haven't we? In football, this sport has got to start looking after its own, and that means looking after clubs at every level of the English game. And the time has come to bring back some redistribution of finance right throughout the English football pyramid. So, I mean, Kieran, he's, I mean, he's pretty adamant where the where the blame lies. It's it, it's at the the football authorities. He said they've done nothing for for twenty years. I said, and and it, it's time for an independent regulator of football finance, which is a a, a a drastic suggestion, but just shows how angry the mayor of Greater Manchester is. He is. Remember, he he used to be uh, you know a minister himself involved yeah. at the DCMS. 
so he is familiar with football. He, he's a football fan, yeah. um, and uh, you know he he's, he senses the disappointment. But also, if you think about it, for being the mayor of Manchester, we've had Berry, we've had Bolton, Macclesfield, Oldham, yeah. now Wigan. You know, M- Manchester is is a hot spot for football in a positive way, but it's becoming a hot spot for football in a negative way, and this is all connected to club owners. It's the same story again and again and again. And all that we are getting is platitudes. Uh, and, you know, the EFL came out with a statement yesterday. And uh, you know, I do feel to a certain extent they've been outmaneuvered by the people uh, involved. But they said, well, they've never met the owner. If they never met the owner, why on earth did they accept that, uh, you know, that he was a fit and proper person to run a football club? Again, I mean, this has been a theme of our pod since the very first pod we did. You'd think, at the very least, the new owner would have to turn up at EFL headquarters, wherever that is, with his passport and a couple of utility bills, just to actually prove it's him. It, it, it's just so shabby the way the EFL allow people to take clubs over. And it's, it, it, I'm getting annoyed, so I'm going to stop now. But we uh, we've been in touch with the the shadow minister for sport and culture, who has agreed to come and talk to us. But uh, I think it's only fair that we try and get the actual. Minister for Sport and Culture on first Oliver Dowden. So we are trying to get in touch with him um, and hopefully he'll come on and tell us what he thinks the government should be doing, if anything, about this. But this is this is quite clear that this is not one of those cases where football owners have been... You know, this is not Mark Goldberg, who, who was a Palace fan who came into some money, essentially, and bought the club. This is not a businessman trying to make money. This is, a, a, as you say, a nefarious... Uh, a fair, for want of a better word, and and the people that are suffering and those people that have been made redundant and the Wigan fans. So this is this is somewhere where you know, the government and the FA have to step in and, and sort this out, basically. Um, anyway, elsewhere, Kieran, Sheffield United, uh, old friends of the pod, uh, have taken out a mortgage on Bramall Lane uh, after borrowing money from the Emirates Bank. That That's right. Um, if you recall that there was a dispute between the two owners of Sheffield United, uh, Prince Abdullah of, of Saudi um, and Kevin McCabe, who, who was local. And, and this was a ding dong which went through the, the courts for uh, around about four years. And eventually it was decided in favour of Prince Abdullah. But part of the deal was that at the time, Kevin McCabe owned the, the properties so the court said uh, to, to Abdullah, you've, you've now got to go and buy Bramall Lane and the training ground um, at a price which was kept secret. Uh, now, Sheffield United announced with, with, sort of a, with trumpets last week, well, we bought the ground, which, which is fantastic. You know, we, we've seen all of these troubles that have arisen in respect of football clubs as soon as you get something strange happening with the properties. You know, they either get sold on or you know they're mortgaged to somebody new and so on, um, and and you get split control and and things of this nature. Um, now, Prince Abdullah. Lots of people think, well, because he's a Saudi prince, uh, he he must be a zillionaire. Well, well, he's not. You know, the, the Saudi royal family is is very large. Um, it's got many cousins and cousins of cousins and so on. Um, so it looks as if they've gone to the, the Emirates Bank and in order to buy the property from Kevin McCabe, the club has has taken out a mortgage. And that, that's that's not a bad thing. It's not necessarily going to be a problematic thing. You know, if they're in the Premier League and, of course, they've been one of the shining lights of the Premier League this season, um, they'll have the money to to make those repayments, to make those instalments. Um, but it, it's... Uh, 
it, it's certainly a step forward into getting you know, all the ducks in a single line as far as Sheffield United are concerned. Hmm. Well, that's something for Sheffield United fans. Um, I'm quite tickled by the fact that you mentioned Prince Abdullah of Saudi and Kevin McCabe and feel the need to point out that Kevin McCabe is the one from Sheffield. I think <laughs> I think, I think most of us had leapt to that conclusion <laughs> quite early on in that conversation, to be perfectly honest. Now, Kieran, I, I, I mean, this is this is terrible news. It's normally you cheating on me, Kieran, but you've you've been cheated on by a football club. This is this is an awful story. I mean, Derby County should hold their heads in shame because you were looking forward to a, a couple of days devouring Derby County's accounts under the duvet, but you've you've not been able to. So first of all, I'm just going to check that's not because the Baroness hid them, is it? <laughs> no, no, I, I have been jilted at the order, uh, sorry, jilted at the altar even. Um, have you? <laughs> in, have you in really? the <laughs> Well, in, in a football finance sense. Oh, right. Okay, um, good. Because, uh, yeah, for new listeners, uh, yeah, nothing would surprise me about your life, Kieran, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I, I was already rehearsing the reasons in my head for why you may have been jilted at the altar in a kind of EastEnders style, and, and none of them were good, which says a lot about our relationship, basically. But crack on. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> uh, well, um, Derby County, um, under, under company law, you're supposed to produce your accounts nine months after your year. Um, so Derby's year end is the 30th of June. That gave them till the 31st of March. Uh, Rishi Sunak came along and said, well, I'm going to give you an extra three months uh, because of COVID. Everybody understood that. That's fine. All the other clubs seem capable of doing that. So Derby's accounts have been out and they've they've not sent them in. So I can't get my spreadsheet out. Oh. Um, but it is, it, it is frustrating. You know, Derby... Uh, I appreciate that they've got an ongoing case against the EFL. They've got an ongoing case by all accounts with uh, with Richard Keogh because they sacked him. Um, yeah, they, they've they've not they've not generated a lot of positive publicity uh, in terms of their financial behaviour over the course of the last twelve months. So this this is an opportunity for them to simply set out the figures. Say, look, we've done this. We've done actually pretty well this year. Mm. Um, so you lot, you know, throw away your raspberries, and you know, we, we've got nothing to worry about. Um, but there's still no sign of them. They are late. It, it is a breach of company law, but you only get a £150 fine. Um, and, you know, going on social media, some some of the Derby fans are saying, well, you know, I've got some sort of, you know, beef against the club. But that's not the case. If, if, it doesn't matter who you support. If it's your club, you, you just want to know that things are OK. And, and this is just one way of providing a bit of solace and comfort. You know, financially, we're doing all right. There's nothing too much to worry about. We don't want to end up, you know, like one of those clubs such as Macclesfield that, that can't pay the wages on a regular basis. And publishing the information improves transparency, it improves communication, and it allows to people to see that there's, there's nothing to worry about. Well, why do you think they haven't taken the opportunity? Because it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sinister reason, does it? I mean, it could be that somebody went off sick for a week and, and didn't finish them. It's as simple as that, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying there, there is anything uh, clandestine. Um, and they've always been one. Yeah, they've always been a bit late. Um, but it's, it, it's, it is a frustration that you know, they were given an extra three months and they've still not got round to, uh, doing that. And, you know, perhaps, perhaps, you know, it's, you know, it's now 76p for a first class stamp. So perhaps they posted them second class. Maybe. Yeah. They, did they actually post them? No. Is that the, it's is all submitted online. Is that the moment I was going to say? That's probably the most naive thing I've actually said on this pod, isn't it? Um, yeah, you, 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 do you have nothing against Derby County, Kieran? It's just that you've been, You've been let down by missing the opportunities. Like Barry, the Baroness, 
came in and said, I've got something for you. And, and it wasn't Derby's spreadsheet. So you're upset. I understand that, Kieran. Um, now, Carlisle United is not a club that's particularly been on our radar. Um, so I'm delighted that one of the few times we talk about them is a good news story. And the good news story is that a growing number of Carlisle United fans have said that they would be happy to pay for a 23-game season ticket, uh, whether or not the, the football is, is back or not, which is uh, an encouraging thing to hear about football fans because we're always on their side, but uh, the media aren't. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. That's right. I think it's a really heartwarming story. And uh, by all accounts, the fans have said, you know, we, and something we've always subscribed to, we want our club to survive. We want it to be in existence. Um, and therefore they've contacted the club and they say, look, we don't care whether you play or not. We still want to pay, pay for a season ticket and, and we'll just see how things go. Because of course, with COVID, there's no guarantee of a return to football in, especially in the lower leagues, mm. um, at, at any time in the future. Um, and and to be fair to the club, and, and this must be unheralded, you've got people going to a business, offering it cash, and the club, because it too has integrity, it says, sorry, folks, we, we just don't feel we can take your money from you because we feel that it's just that it would lack integrity in doing so um, you know, because we can't guarantee and, and we don't want you to potentially be okay now financially, but not okay in a few months time and therefore needing the money back. But so thanks, but no thanks. Um, but by all accounts, uh, you know, a huge number of Carlisle fans have said in respect of refunds from this season, and I appreciate they're not the only clubs, but you know, the vast majority of fans, of of, uh, of club of all clubs who can afford it, and, and I've talked to you about clubs outside the Premier League. I think it is very different in the Premier League. Have said you're you're part of my life. You know, you, you are part of my identity of Carlisle or Darlington or Doncaster or Southend or whatever it is. Um, keep the money, um, and it, 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 it's it's further evidence in my view that football is special in this country. Yeah. It is part of our culture. And that's why, going back to the issues at Wigan, 
um, you know, we've, we've got to stand up and we've got to fight. And, and one of the really disappointing things um, that that I, I saw in the the EFL statement yesterday, and this really uh, got got fans wound up from Berry, is it is it made reference to to Wigan and and the owner had said it was due to COVID. Well, you know, it's it's definitely not to do with no, COVID. No, no. Um, and, and then it said, you know, we don't want a repeat of of last year's uh, issues where where Berry were forced to withdraw from the league. They weren't with. You know, withdraw I withdraw from the Baroness that's about as far yeah that's what withdraw means that you know Berry were kicked out Berry were kicked out of the football league by other clubs so don't give me that absolute garbage about them choosing to leave or withdraw it's utter nonsense uh, I agree I wish you could have found a better metaphor than the Baroness one but that's I, I absolutely uh, agree with you and also what the Carlisle United story shows is is something that we we sometimes forget doing this podcast because we focus on those clubs uh, where things are going wrong. We focus on 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 the issues where fans need to know that things are going wrong, and we about agents and about transfer fees and about VAT and about all and late accounts. But also, we forget that there are many, many, many clubs who are owned by decent people who are trying to get their clubs through a crisis, and when the decent owners and the fans have a good symbiotic relationship. Then you get fans saying, we'll cough up for a season ticket if we can, if that helps. And you get the club saying, well, that's brilliant, but we're not sure we can do that. It's, you know, there will be, there will be, there will be clubs where fans go, sod you, the, the, you, you, you're terrible owners. Why, why should we make that offer? But it just shows, as you say, how not only how important football is, but how football fans respond when the club has a, has a decent owner. That's right, and, and I think that's fans of you know practically all club. We want to see. We, we we live in hope that our owners have got the same values as us, and that that club represents something good about where we live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we haven't talked about Scotland for a while, so let's rectify that because the legal challenge around relegation from the Scottish Premier League has taken uh, an interesting turn. Guy has said. Yes, what what's happened here is that we've got Hearts and Partick Thistle who have put in a legal claim to say that they they shouldn't have been relegated um, as a result of COVID-19, uh, despite the, the votes going against them. Um, and then they also said if they are to be relegated, then they are entitled to £10 million worth of compensation. Now, this compensation would have to come from the other clubs. Um but that legal claim uh, resulted in effectively a counterclaim from Dundee United, Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers, because if Hearts and Partick got their way, it meant that those clubs wouldn't have been promoted. Right. Who are the only winners out of this? Our good yeah. friends with the it's silver tongues. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, to be fair, what's happened after a three-day hearing last week, it was decided that the courts weren't going to arbitrate on this. It was going to be the Scottish Football Association itself. So that should reduce some of the costs. But it does mean that those three clubs, Dundee United, Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers, they've now started a crowdfunding campaign because they reckon it's going to cost them 150 grand or up to 150 grand in legal costs. And yet they've not played football for four months. They're skint. Um, And and you do feel sort of uncomfortable here 
football clubs are asking football fans to put money into a pot to yeah. pay lawyers a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you, I mean, you can't imagine a team like Ray Forever's would have, would have a lot of money at the best of times, to be perfectly honest. But, I mean, what's – well, there are very many depressing things about this, but it's the dreary predictability of it all. I mean, because that's, a, that's the first thing most people predicted would happen when it was decided that relegation issues would be decided without any football. We all said that the first thing that will happen is – is, is people will go to court, clubs will go to court, and I think we'll probably see that with with, with Stevenage or Macclesfield, depending on what happens with the extra year four points deduction. And 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 as you say, it, it's never the football club. I mean, it, there are there are certain clubs like Man City who can afford to go to European courts of arbitration. Who can probably, I think, we find that decision out on Monday. Um, they can probably afford better lawyers than, than UEFA. But when it comes to Rafe Rovers and COVID, they, they can't afford the sort of legal fees it's going to take to win a case like this, it seems to me. Yeah, very much so. And and the tragedy is you know, the fixture lists actually came out in Scotland a few days ago. Yeah. They're due to restart football on the 1st of August and potentially this might scupper that. Yes, of course. Um, Derby County may have let you down, Kieran, but Tranmere Rovers, which I... Uh, if Derby fans think you don't like them, I, I would guess that Tramia Rovers fans listening to this would think you do because you've always got kind things to say about them. But they've published their latest numbers and details of a, a quite a big share issue. <clears throat> it wasn't that big. It didn't deserve, <laughs> didn't deserve the high-pitched voice, but it's quite a big share issue, Kevin, huh? Yeah, and remember, Tranmere wrote, these are the 2019 accounts. So this was the first year that, that Tranmere were back uh, in the EFL after you know, a few years in the National League. Um, but this is, this is sort of testament. You know, remember, we've had Mark Palios on the show, yeah. um, and his strategy has proven that it works. So Tranmere, um, they generated more revenue than any other club in League Two, and, and part of the reason for that is that, that Marx has this blueprint in that we're not just a football club, we are a community hub, and what we're going to do is we're going to provide education for those kids who won't go to school because yeah, yeah. come to Prenton Park because you know, you know the manager or one of the players pops in occasionally so it makes them feel good. Mm. Um, it's providing health services for men of, of our age, Kevin. And let's face it, we don't look after ourselves particularly well. Um, so you know, it's providing exercise and health, health activities and that's being supported by the NHS and by the local authorities. So so Tranmere is making it more of a more more of a three hundred and sixty five day a year club, um, and it also managed to do that on on a wage bill, and it was the only club in League Two which was below uh, UEFA's. They call it the red line. Yeah. Are you spending less than seventy pence in the pound um, on wages? And, and Tranmere managed to get get promoted pay out the promotion bonuses and still satisfy that. So I think this is indicative of football clubs. If they start to think a bit smarter, they can skip, they can get their financial house in order uh, and, and come out of it. And that means that they're going to be less susceptible to takeovers because mm. they're more robust and, and the risks of having to sell the ground and all of the bad things that go along with it, those risks start to, to reduce. Yeah. Also, I think what Tranmere Rovers have done in recent seasons, which which is clever, is to say the community we're looking after isn't Liverpool. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the Wirral. You know, Tranmere is a separate entity. They always get roped in as the third 
Liverpool club, and and you know they're not that far away, but they're saying no, no, this this these are the people around here that that need looking after, and I, I think that's important, and I think it's important as well that we mention them to some clubs. But so, what's the significance of the share issue then? Well, what 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 they've done is that that Tranmere have said, you know, you, you're, we're right, we are on the Wirral, we're slightly outside of Liverpool, but we're not that far from it. Mm. So they've managed to go to the Philippines, and, and they they've just received uh, an extra one million pounds of uh, financing from uh, investors there, and, and that that takes it up to three and a half million over the course of the last twelve months, and. What Tranmere are doing in response to that is they're setting up soccer schools or football schools, of course, um, in the Philippines. They're giving coaching to some of the people out there to sort of bring them in line with uh, the latest ideas coming out from sort of the UEFA coaching approaches and things of this nature to to improve the quality of the game um, back back in the Philippines. Um, and this has allowed them to put in a, a better pitch. You know, this, this extra million pounds has been ring-fenced for, for improving the pitch. You know, Tranmere's pitch was a bit, bit up and down this season. Um, and you know, it's going to allow them next season, you know, tragically in League Two, because as we said, they, they weren't relegated, yeah. they were booted yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they'll be in a really strong position to be able to progress on the pitch, and you know, you know let, we're all hoping that football is going to return before uh, a, a proper audience um, and, and put in a, a, a good campaign for 2021. It, it's great that they're doing that for kids in the Philippines, but with all due respect to Tranmere, I imagine that when the kids in the Philippines ask them where Tranmere is, they say, "Oh, we're the third club in Liverpool." Despite despite what I just said about them being a distinct identity, oh no, no, we're definitely the third club in Liverpool. Um, well, talking of football being back, the MLS is back, Kieran. Uh, yeah, so this is this uh, this is a competition called MLS is back, and it's proving to be quite controversial. Um, it, it was arranged by the league itself um, originally for twenty six clubs. That's now down to twenty five because ten players of FC Dallas went down with COVID, oh, wow. so therefore they've had to withdraw. Um, Nashville Soccer Club. Um, they were supposed to play, play uh, I think it was uh, today, but they've had to have their match postponed because five of their players have gone down with COVID. And, and by all accounts, um, the, the conditions in which the players are having to live, because this is all taking place under a bubble, effectively, yeah. in Florida. And, of course, Florida is one of the hotspots for yeah, COVID. Yeah. Um, the players are concerned about their health. Um, they've been posting pictures of the sandwiches they've been given. And yeah, they they look. You know, it was it was a classic case of nineteen seventies British rail sandwiches. You know, with with bits curling up on them. Um, so it's it's uh, it's not going down particularly well. Nobody's quite sure of the format of the competition, and you've also got to ask yourself who's going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is the the TV audience for MLS? Um, it, it's it's not on it's not on the, the major networks. I think it's I think it's an ESPN oh, okay. oh, product. Okay. Um, and yeah, we, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, I, I think you and I we we've both been watching the Premier League with a sort of a bit of a it's a bit ho hum now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that, we we really do miss the atmosphere and, and the 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 energy uh, that that is brought to football by having a crowd there. I mean, if if Palace had been playing last night. 
and you were 3-2 down, having just scored against Chelsea, you wouldn't have lost that match, would you? Yeah, the crowd would have pushed them on to get an equaliser. And it's that which is missing. Funny funny enough, we discussed this on the Palace pod today because there is that, but there's also my theory that if we had been playing that in front of the crowd, we would have been egging them on and they would have all charged forward and then Chelsea would have scored a fourth goal on the break. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. It's it's not so much missing the atmosphere on TV. It's missing the atmosphere by going to games. That's what we. That's what I miss. I, I, I hate the fake atmosphere on TV. I'd rather listen to it in, in in silence. It's an artificial situation, so I don't mind having an artificial situation in, by by watching and just hearing the players. But and also, I mean, I suppose the other thing with the MLS as well, because we know Trump has got a. A huge, uh, the kindest thing you can say about Trump and sport is he doesn't understand it. Uh, he seems to think they're all wacko revolutionaries. But I, I kind of guess he'd be egging some of the, the teams to be playing behind or in front of a full crowd if, if he could. I mean, he, he won't be at all happy to see uh, MLS teams taking these precautions and playing behind closed doors, I guess, would he? Yep, yep. I, you know, I think think they are. There is a there is an issue clearly in the states where, with with the rise um, and the second wave of COVID, um, and and I, you know I, I, they're not getting it right. That's the best you can yeah. say. Um, and for a country which I think we all historically have looked up to, their their ability to get things wrong on a regular basis on, on things such as health and clearly here in sport is a cause for concern. Yeah, this is uh, we need to get you off because it's the, your game kicks off in five minutes. But I think we probably need to do an American special at some stage because what I mean, what is the where does MLS rank? Would you? I mean, obviously it's a long way behind NFL and basketball and baseball, but is it anywhere near? Getting there, I mean, we see a lot of white middle class American fans sort of adopting British fan culture, supporting teams managed by various ex English people. But I mean, how how far behind in terms of economics is is MLS? Economics it runs itself pretty well because they do have salary caps, um, because all of their money is centralised. So it is very much run on a franchise basis. Um, the, the crowds in the main are pretty good. Uh, you know, the one thing that American franchises are good is uh, is, is selling themselves and engaging with fans. Uh, I know I, I went to Canada a couple of years ago um, and watched Vancouver Whitecaps, and it, and it was a great experience. You know, we we went along to one match on a Wednesday, and we enjoyed it so much. We went along to another match three or four days later right. in in the singing section. And that's where I, I do think that they've not quite got the understanding. So when the opposition team was being uh, announced, they were shouting wanker at the names of all the opposition players, but smiling about it. And, and they, I don't think they quite understand that football is all about you know stupid hatred. Yeah, well, I quite agree. And I imagine, speaking of stupid hatred, I imagine as a Brighton fan, it would have been quite nice for you to be in a section of fans that were actually doing some singing. That would have been a nice, nice experience for you. Um, okay, we need to finish because we are literally two minutes from the kickoff uh, of your game. I nearly said good luck then. <laughs> people would have, <laughs> people would have realised I was taking the piss. Um, listen, if any of our American uh, listeners want to ask questions about the MLS, then please do. If any of you have got any questions about anything that we've spoken about tonight or anything about the game, um, our next pod is, of course, our questions one. And, and if you want to get in touch with us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I hope you have a good weekend. Uh, I rarely get to say this, but come on, Liverpool. Stay safe, boys and girls. The price of football.
the price of football.